Welcome. You are listening to Bookalicious, not just any book podcast. I'm Paul Jarrett, together with Gwyn, Lara and Holly. Join us on a journey exploring the world of books and words. Be inspired. Get new reading ideas, sometimes serious, but always fun. Bookalicious is a podcast to open your mind. Hello and welcome. This is episode seven of Bookalicious. Can you believe episode seven? I'm here. Well, it's just Gwyn and I. Hello, Gwyn. Hello. It's just like the good old days when Gwyn and I did Callon Talks Books week after week, didn't we? Yes, we'd sit in a studio and just talk to each other and make it up as we went along. So, yeah. <laughs> but tonight we, we definitely have a theme because there is a tradition amongst us, isn't there? Even though oh, yeah. I actually not sure I have ever done Halloween as a person um, or personally in this house. Um, probably more likely to keep the door shut if you come and trick and treat here. But uh, it has emerged as a tradition i think the last oh for as long as i can remember us doing a book show together so we we can't ignore it can we no not at all have to do halloween i, I so uh, later on i have a real i don't know if it's a treat <laughs> before but when when we finish talking i will share with you a recording i did earlier of mr james ghost story what more do you need for halloween it's a very short story called rats we, st- we just before we came on to record <laughs> you said to me gwyn i don't like scary things <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I, I'm. Is, does that include films, books, television, anything? You watch Doctor Who. Surely, Doctor Who yeah, is scary. Well, there are. As we're also saying that there are different types of scary, and I, I'm not interested in horror. Um, really, over horror, um, possibly more in terms of TV and film, I guess. So, anything that's gory and bloody and yeah. involves torture or slashes or serial killers, anything like that, I'm, I don't really go for. But you were talking about M.R. James and ghost stories. I do like that kind of creepy, unsettling, weird uh, kind of fiction, whether it's uh, to to be read or to be watched on the screen. One thing that did come to mind as we were chatting earlier, again, talking about TV rather than books, is that one of the uh, classic recent Doctor Who uh, monsters, if you like, is the Weeping Angels. Yeah. Um, who kind of yes. when you're not looking. And I think Stephen Moffat as a writer for Doctor Who had this wonderful knack of being able to create uh, scares out of the, the, the mundane and the normal, the thing that you see in the corner over your shoulder. Yes. So I think for me, that's I like that kind of scary when it's something that's regular and normal, but you just catch sight of something from a different angle and it makes you wonder what's beneath the surface. And almost the stories that are not necessarily resolved where you think well we don't know what's going on here so rather yeah. than out and out scares and jumps and things like that i i prefer the kind of scares that just unsettle you and make you walk away from the book or the tv show going i don't think i want to open my cupboard door tonight yeah <laughs> i and i i totally agree with you you know it's that um it's sort of that show but don't tell thing that it's it that the best um the best scary movies are the ones where you never actually see the monster you know i i remember i know you see the monster in alien uh eventually but i remember going to see alien and not really knowing what the film was so uh, yes the monster sorry this is a spoiler if anyone's going to see the film but obviously the alien is a big reveal at some point but up until that point you don't really see it there's something there it, it oh Oh, and it's claustrophobic and it's and the mr james yeah yeah sorry gwen yeah so there's like there, there there are noises and there are smells and they you might get blood or saliva dripping from the ceiling <laughs> something's there or or the, the cat will jump out and run away and yeah and then just as you're watching it or reading it the cat actually does jump out and scares you rigid so this is the sort of stuff we're talking i i'm totally with you i think slasher movies and and if it's if it's too in your face mm-hmm. uh, for me i i i'm i don't uh i don't really like uh, uh horror 
Uh, the Mr. James story that I picked, mainly because it was short, is is I, it just it is just unsettling. I mean, if you treated his many of his stories are set in East Anglia, oh. so uh, and a lot of what he wrote uh, is based on things that he he was a vicar i think wasn't he or he was in oxford i think something I think so, like yes. that he was a, yeah. an academic he was yeah. one of those sort of polymaths interested in all sorts of things and a lot of his stories are based on real sort of mm. archaeological artifacts or history little bits of legend from east anglia i think if you used it as a guidebook of east anglia you'd never go <laughs> <laughs> and and he does reveal sometimes the the the, the monster or the ghost but it it's kind of in passing and then people go away and think, well, did I really see that? And then people, oh, yeah, oh, yes, I heard about that, but I've never seen it, you know, and that's the way it is. Because you go into a village pub and people will say, oh, yeah, that house down there. Yeah, wouldn't go there, not after dark. So we're going to mention a few books. Uh, well, I'm just chuck a, a couple of books in for, for your Halloween enjoyment. Now, my, my choice is... Uh, Jason Bray, who is um, the vicar of St. Giles in Wrexham Parish Church, and he has written a book called Deliverance, so a local author to us in North East Wales, and he has been the deliverance minister for the church in Wales for 20 or more years, I'd say, um, but obviously for the Diocese of St. Asaph, that means in layman's terms i suppose you would call him an exorcist <laughs> mm. uh, and the cover of the book is brilliant it's a shadow outline of jason himself standing in the portico of st giles parish church <laughs> with his little bag of things that he takes oh. but the thing about it is it's not it's not scary i i think it's really interesting because he talks about it from the point of view of uh, the reality of it and he's never really ever done the sort of bells and candles and exorcism thing um he it, it's all a, he he comes over as a really caring individual and it's all about the people it's usually people in the house who are having difficulties of, of some sort or another um and yeah and things do get thrown around rooms unexplicably unexpl and uh all that kind of stuff but actually generally he sits down and talks to them and he'll go and bless the house and going through that process actually seems to ease whatever tension it is i and uh, so yeah if you're looking for a scary book about exorcism, please go and read The Exorcist. Uh, there was a book before the film. Um, and um, Deliverance isn't that. But if you're interested in the process of it, it's very interesting because he, he has um, Phil Rickman, who has written a series. Uh, he writes uh, the Merrily Watkins uh, uh, fictional uh, vicar. Uh, who does uh, deliverance ministry um, he has written a, a spiel on the book and I know that Jason and Phil exchange notes <laughs> which is interesting um, but I do recommend Merrily Watkins as well because that's about a, a female vicar in sort of south uh, well it's in Herefordshire linked to Hereford Cathedral not far from you really Gwen um, and uh, all those stories have some sort of phenomena and um, it, yes there's, it, there's an atmosphere it's often scary there's usually a murder somewhere along the line but uh, it, it, it is all about creating that atmosphere and questioning is well our ghost you know the actual physical representation of a ghost appearing is very rare uh, or, or does it ever happen or is it just most haunted making it up i don't know well a lot of it is about stories isn't it yeah. uh, i mean there are so many ghost stories but there are also stories in real life that people tell you like oh room seven that we're gonna call yeah, haunted. Yeah. is it real or is it not and it's whether it's written down or it's just the bloke in the pub tells you it's still a story so yeah. how much of the existence of ghosts or the the legends of ghosts are are stories and you know well yeah. does it it doesn't really matter does it no. No, because oh, this is the thing. Yeah, that book that you were uh, were going to talk about, the mm. Ghostland. That's that's sort yeah. of um, tales of mm, ghostly things around the country, isn't it? 
Well, yes, the, the author goes around uh, the UK visiting different sites that have either been connected with uh, stories or authors who have written, you know, people like M.R. James who have written um, ghost stories, spooky stories, weird fiction, um, or it's about places themselves that are that have a reputation for being haunted, but from a, like a, a literary perspective. Uh, there's all sorts of different chapters. I mean, he goes to Edinburgh. Um, I mean, I've literally just opened now at a page that actually mentions uh, Newport. <laughs> hey. Newport and Kyleon. And somewhere in our neck of the woods, there's also uh, where Arthur Macken came from. Oh, and yes. I was looking at him London. earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so there's he, he, the, the author, Edward Parnell, visits so many different places around the UK and he explores what was maybe perhaps inspiring about the landscape and what the authors drew from it to, to create their own stories and how much of that might have been based on real stories and how much of it was just based on a general sense that something might be going on in the landscape. Uh, so then you kind of diverge off into things like folk horror and all that sort of thing. So there are so many different, as you say, different almost subgenres in the in the scary mm. So, so tell us what, what it's called and who it's by. Sorry, well, we missed Ghost that bit. Land, Ghostland yeah. by Edward Parnell. Okay, okay. Mm. See, I, I think this is interesting. You know, it's a bit... Uh, definitely my favourite sort, sort of um, scary thing is, is you, you know, someone tells you a story mm. um, and it, I think it's connected to the, the, the history of a place. And for me, there are atmospheres in places mm. and... Um, it, all those myths and legends that have come through however long those stories are um fascinating because that you know they started somewhere someone started telling them um mm. and yes lots of them are made up just to bring tourism in um but um you and i went to an exhibition in um the Ashmolean Museum, didn't we? Did you oh, go to that? Yes. Which is, I think, yes. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. That was actually quite unsettling. It was about, um, yeah. you know, uh, the belief in in witches and the um, sort of charms and curses and things that they yeah. would people would put in houses, sort of household objects, or yeah. you know, collecting yeah. your toenails or whatever. I, d I don't know. It was it was it was really interesting, wasn't it? Yes, and I, I think also in some ways, going back to the word scary, what I sometimes find more scary about those stories of witches in the olden times is not so much that the, the women themselves were casting spooky spells on people, but what the uh, men in authority, shall we say, were basically using their power to get rid of these women that they perceived to be a threat. Yeah. Um, or to keep them down when it may simply have been a woman who grew herbs and knew how to heal people. Uh, so yeah. I think what is often scariest is, as I, I think I said earlier, what humans will do to each other. And is it really the spooky stories about ghosts that are built up that is, are they the really scary stories that we have going on in the country? Or, you know, do we use those to as escapism from what we all do to each other on a daily basis? Do, do you know what I think? Um, whether you like being scared or not, and I, I'm a bit like you, I don't really like being scared. Um, but the whole, if we take it right back to Halloween, because the whole meaning of Halloween is around mm. um, uh, all saints and all souls, to mm. the end of, uh, you know, we're recording this a bit before, so we get it out in time, but at the end of October. Um, and I think the whole of that a Christian religious festival, which is probably based on pre-Christian stuff, you know, around that time. There's probably, uh, uh, it probably goes way back before, but it's all about reassurance, yeah. I think. And I, I just think scary stories, yes, it, it's that sort of thing of being scared and then actually, but it's okay. Because mm. um, all, all saints and all souls, you know, the night before, lots of candles. If you, I just remember going once to the, um, uh, I was in uh, Venice in October and we were going across the lagoon and there's a cemetery island. So oh. on all souls, they just light all these candles. So it's absolutely a blaze of light. So it's actually celebrating the lives of all those people that had died. And obviously yeah. all saints is sort of, you know, there's a, there's better things to come, whether you believe in any of that or not. But I I think the good ghost story is saying, here you go, this is scary, that happened to those people, yeah. but you're all right, it's okay. Yeah. 
or is that just me? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, the, there's there's ghost stories and there's these traditions, as you say, around Halloween. And I was just quickly looking up also mm. Day of the Dead, which is uh, um, a Mexican thing, I think, um, mainly Mexico with other places as well. And all those sorts of um, holidays, if you like, they, they are about when the, the veil between the world ends <laughs> yes. and we can connect with our ancestors and, you know, make connections with those that have passed. So in some ways that is intended, I guess, to be comforting and reassuring and a good thing, a celebration almost of the fact that these people have existed and they had an impact on us in our lives. So it is quite interesting to see how something like that has, you know, how does it relate to the spooky stories that we tell about scary ghosts and uh, evil creatures in the dark wanting to do us harm. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's quite interesting to look at the two different sides of, of the Halloween. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think it also... Um... It's a bit, I'm just shooting from the hip here. This isn't this isn't thoroughly researched, listeners. Sorry about this, uh, but I I I think there is also something about us putting the past in context as well, because mm. most of them are linked to to history. I mean, um, we all all of us on this show love ghosts on the television, mm. and that kind of is a, a representation of, of sort of leading you back into past stories about people mm. in, in the past. And uh, I think if you're interested in 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 history but we we kind of need to put certain things in in context oh. and very often um you get scary stories around battlefields or where horrible violent things have mm. happened and again it's that uh kind of just trying to put it in context trying to understand the inexplicable mm. um perhaps yeah you see i'm talking rubbish now aren't i <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I mean, uh, the ghost ghost stories, stories about ghosts, almost by definition, uh, involve looking back at the past and dealing with the past and considering things that we might have overlooked or things that we need to be reminded of. Uh, I mean, it, isn't it one of the classic reasons why a ghost appears if there is unfinished business and something yeah. that needs to be dealt with that we're not dealing with in the present? We need to look back to the past to see. So it is about grounding us in the context of you know our lives before um i dread to think the phenomena that will be coming out of the troubled world we live in at the minute (laughs) there'll be just like this um uh oh uh what is it uh ectoplasm isn't it (laughs) that probably the whole earth will be covered in a whole wave of ectoplasm um that's a whole different thing i don't even that hey right well i'm going to tell you a couple more stories that really scare me okay this should go on your reading list or let's say unsettle me the one that has lived with me since i was a child (laughs) mainly because i saw it on the television as a bbc bbc always used to do a uh, a christmas ghost story um adaptation Uh, i think they've started to try and do it again i think mark gatiss has written a couple which were terrifying absolutely terrifying but way back um there's this uh story by charles dickens called the signalman now everybody knows Christmas Carol, don't they? Which uh, and someone was—I was reading someone somewhere. Someone was saying, "Do you know what? Why on earth did he send Marley and then three ghosts? Uh, if it had been me, Marley turning into a doorknob and telling me you need to change your ways, I'd say, yeah, okay, go fair cop. Let's <laughs> stop here.' <laughs> anyway, um, the uh, but that it's not that one. So the signalman is singularly terrifying to read and particularly well adapted and it is just uneasy and unsettling someone is well it's about signal box on a a railway and dickens i think was a bit obsessed with railways um and something has happened and there's a, a a ghostly signalman that uh appears and it, i can't say anymore really because it there is it, it's all of what we've been saying about stuff that's happened in the past is being repeated and things mm. that need to be resolved i have not been resolved and uh, it's just deeply scary and unsettling all the way through um i don't know why i keep going back to it because it still scares me but dickens had an incredibly gothic sense didn't he i i think well i can't admit to having read much dickens but he certainly had an eye for detail and i think when we get those 
details, especially the mundane details about what life was like at the time. Um, so you ground it in a reality, but hint that there are other things going on. It's, it's almost like the Stephen Moffat thing again. You pick yeah. something that is normal and day-to-day -day and, you know... Just really twist mundane. it a bit, yeah. Yes, I yeah. mean, shine a different light on it so you see the shadows. It's uh, because um, I was thinking about our conversations about the the um into the author you interviewed about gardens we were talking about gardens <laughs> and how how yes that's right and they had that so gardens have this continuance uh, by planting oh. things we we are sort of um generation to generation we're trying to see it's our way of living on in future generations isn't it oh. in, the, in a natural place for sort of oh. um well are they are we are they ghosts or are they not whatever um oh. but and a more recent scary story uh, by Susan Hill, who actually is better known for an incredibly scary story, The Woman in Black. My, hasn't it made her lots of money? But um, it is absolutely terrifying on television, on stage and on film and in the book. Uh, but she uh, has written quite a lot of ghost stories. Uh, the one that stays with me is one that is set in a garden called The Small Hand. I think we might have um, talked about it when you did the interview with, with Tiffany, but uh, it's a, but The Small Hand is, is in this garden and, and this person, it, it's, it's, it's as simple as someone in a garden and something that's happened there before and their child's small hand slips into your hand. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. That's... Yeah, do you feel the chill? It's ever such a short book. Um, she she writes really short, snappy uh, mm. things, and you don't always see anything. Mm. You just come away feeling, oof, that's cold. I'm going to turn the fire up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but she she's she she's brilliant. Uh, I I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, we we. We've done quite well for people who don't like getting scared. <laughs> I'm just interested, Gwyn, have you ever read any of the Doctor Who novels or short stories? No, I haven't. But I, I get, with many things that are on my reading list, I would actually quite like to start reading a few. Um, I was just reading an article earlier about Russell T Davis. And yeah. I'm aware he's written a few bits and pieces. And other people have obviously written novels and stories around... Um, the, what we see on the TV and it's quite interesting if you again if you take something that's known and you put some different contexts in it and give a little bit more history but, but yeah some, some of Doctor Who is um, terrifying like, slightly creepy and but you obviously have all the there are overt things like the Daleks who just shoot you and kill you so even within that one um, you know story, yeah, but... there, there are different types of scares I was terrified. I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, um, but the original William Hartnell uh, first uh, series, um, there, there were a couple of, uh, the, the original black and white ones, there were a couple of things where uh, just walking across, I, I, I vaguely remember something about um, a kind of chess match and had to move in a particular way yeah. and if they missed a step then you know you fell to some horrible death with a monster waiting for you i probably <laughs> got that all completely wrong but it terrified me as a child yeah. um, and I, I i'd be interested to know when, when you have read some some of the because uh, yeah. there's a huge amount of uh, doctor yeah. who literature isn't there yes whether yeah. it actually carries through that there's always a certain amount of mystery around the doctor Mm. Um, who who is a he's almost like an unreliable narrator, isn't he or she? <laughs> yeah. um, and it's never straightforward, and often bad things happen mm. <laughs> around them. Yes, yeah, yes. It's, I think because of the nature of um, what they try to to do, they try to be good, um, but you can't just make good things happen by wanting them to happen. Yeah, um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's interesting because there's the whole scope of space and time to play with. So you can really go forwards and back and up and down and sideways. And it's, yeah. there's a lot of scope there for different types of scares. And I think what we have had certainly in the Stephen Moffat era was a lot 
of the slightly spooky things where you, as we said, you take something that looks normal and you just twist it and it's not normal anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, really really interesting. I and I think obviously you can carry all of this uncertainty into into science fiction and yeah. like we were saying about fantasy uh, and one or two of the other things we've talked about uh, the westerns as well. You you can you can build a creepy element yeah. uh, or you can have a ghost or an unexplained phenomenon and that is the basis of the story. But you could set it pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah. and uh, it's, a, it's a fabulous vehicle um, but hey if you're going to put something really gross and bloody and I, I remember reading um, oh now here's here's a thing now some people love this but there's a Welsh an author that lives on the Welsh um, borders uh, a colleague of mine at Glyndwr introduced me to him oh his books Guy Ann Smith Okay, if you ever go around secondhand bookshops, you'll see the sort of um, uh, scary horror section. You'll almost see some of his books. Um, mm -hmm. And I did, he encouraged me to read a couple of them, and I can see why people like them, but generally it's just quite, yeah, it's just about the horror and lots of death and gore and monsters, and oof, it's not yeah. my thing, not my thing. But I accept that other people like it, so that's uh, yes. fine. It sells well, doesn't it? Yeah, um, but it's, it's scary. It's it's not just about horrific things happening. It's about the build-up and the uncertainty yeah. of whether thinking or fearing that something scary might happen, but not being sure or not knowing when uh, until it jumps out at you. <laughs> Um, okay. This sounds weird. Um, I know we're talking about books, supposedly. One of my one of the pieces of music that I find the scariest, in fact, the scariest piece of music I've ever heard is Mars in the Planet Suite yeah. by Holst. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. Mars is the, the bringer of war. Yeah. And the way he just constructs that piece, it really delivers that sense of impending war and death and doom and vainglorious jubilation and jingoism and what have you and then death again and it's well it's, i think i think that's i think that's really uh, did you know holst was a really interesting uh, uh well obviously he's known for will for his we'll talk about music a bit more in a minute but uh he was known for his uh music but he was very interested in um mystical things he became particularly interested in eastern uh oh. mystical stories um things like the epic of gilgamesh which is i think one of the earliest stories ever told i, I believe yeah. and um the thing about mars uh, particularly mars um is that it's it's unrelenting oh. it's that constant it doesn't stop it's like you you feel something's coming towards you yes yeah, yeah you need to yeah. put that on when you listen to me reading the mr james story because oh. that's exactly it's exactly yeah. the same emotion yeah mm. there's a, another mr james about uh whistle my lad he will come to you which is yeah. terrifying it is absolutely terrifying. You know something, but it, it's unrelenting. It, it's almost yeah. like that constant rhythm of something in the background. Mm. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. We're going to put... Right, so what we're going to do, because in the good old days of Calon Talks Books, we used to have a playlist with all our favourite spooky numbers in there. There's a lot to choose from. So I'm going to try and put together a little Spotify playlist, which will now include mm. Mars by Holst from the Planet Suite um, and lots of other things and traditionally Wayne um, Zavon and uh, Werewolves of London is of always course. in there yeah. yeah you can't not can you <laughs> um, so we'll put that in the show notes and if you fancy going off and uh, listening to music well if you got this far you've listened to us as well so well done <laughs> and there you thought we'd have nothing to say Gwen Without oh. Laura and Holly here, um, but I think we've done pretty well, don't you? Yes, it, yeah. In fact, I was thinking really the the Ghost Slam book I was mentioning earlier. I'm pretty sure that Whistle on a Lad and I'll Come to You is the, one of the M.R. James stories that is yeah. mentioned at some length in it. So although I haven't read it, 
I, I almost felt like I, 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 it's been a few months since I read this book, but I almost felt like I knew what it was talking about. Yeah. Um, I felt like I could have read it, but. Um, yeah, no, I, it's, it's, it's a genuinely, it's genuinely creepy. Uh, yeah. If you, if you, well, you probably never go and walk on the uh, East Anglian coast after reading that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, fantastic areas of the uk you know where mm. where uh, it's got that atmosphere but especially east anglia has got that mm. unending horizon and yes. then the fog will suddenly come in and yeah. this does actually bring me to a book i'm in the middle of reading now and i've wanted to read it for years ever since i saw the film version with jeremy irons and that is waterland by graham Swift. oh yes yes and it's it's astonishing really it, it also gets a mention in ghostland but I, i'm only about halfway through it i think um yeah it's 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 a it's a cracking good book that you know i think it's probably one of the best things that graham swift ever wrote he did he won the booker prize but not for that i think he should have won it for that um and because it's not a fantasy book it's not a ghost story but because of the landscape it's set in and a lot he, he makes a lot out of there being local, well, so much is about history and what has gone before and current actions being placed in the context of history and the stories that people tell. And history being, is it a story? Um, Legend, superstition, all that sort of thing gets mixed up together and it's it's just fascinating. It's really good. You jog my, um, he turns to his bookshelves, it's handy having bookshelves next to my recording equipment, but... um, (laughs) I think a similar sort of thing goes on in, um, this is John McGregor, uh, Reservoir 13. Now, John McGregor's books, I think you could probably say, not a lot happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it gives, uh, this this is set, uh, it won the Costa Book Awards winner, I think think and it was long listed for the man booker prize in 2017 um and shortlisted for the goldsmith prize and i remember reading this it's really uh, midwinter in early years of this century teenage girl on holidays gone missing in the hills at the heart of england the villagers are called up to join the search fanning out across the moors at the police set up roadblocks and a crowd of news reporters descend on their usually quiet home the search for the missing girl goes on, but so does everyday life, as it must. Now, that doesn't really give it a very... It, it, it is, it's all about this place. Obviously, something bad has happened. Um, and he focuses in on the different characters around the village and all people talking to each other. And there's uh, myths and legends about this girl and why that might have happened, or, oh, I saw somebody up there on the... Res- you know... I, I, I I actually think, though it's not marketed as a creepy book, that it, it, it's something deeply unsettling mm. about a remote community and yes. um, something having happened. You get, yeah. you know, it, and in, nor is it a crime novel. Um, but then the best crime novels are the ones where, you know, something bad has happened, mm. um, and it's but it's all about atmosphere and character mm. and uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, well, I'll get all of these in the show notes if I can remember what we've talked about. Well, I'll listen to it again. <laughs> um, yeah, and we'll do the Spotify. I'll do the Spotify playlist uh, mm-hmm. and and stick that in the show notes. Um, do tell everybody that uh, if you have enjoyed Bookalicious, and this is seven episodes in. Um, we're talking. Uh, we we started to talk about all the sort of things we we could talk about in future. <laughs> we could be on doing this weekly if we had the time. But uh, next month, I really hope we can celebrate uh, the hundred and fiftieth anniversary of Alice Through the Looking Glass. Oh. I'm hoping to have an interview with uh, my friend Mark Davis in Oxford, who does Alice tours in Oxford, and and. Although he denies being an expert, he knows an awful lot about Alice. Well, we talk about that. So that's 
hopefully in November, end of November, we'll we'll do that. And I, I, I feel perhaps we should nod towards Christmas at some point in December. Do you think, Gwen? Oh, I think so, yes. Yes, yeah. a, a slightly more relaxed show. Or possibly we'll bring all our Christmas readings with us. That'll put you all off. Yes. <laughs> The mince pies. We'll have mince pies. Yeah, that works well on on a podcast. <laughs> hey, look uh, tonight. You can't. Because it's a shame I'm not recording this as video, but I do actually have three pumpkins behind me. I'm very yeah. proud of these pumpkins. Yes. <laughs> um, I haven't actually achieved. They've actually got warts on them. I mean, not not nasty warts. They they kind of look like uh, witches' faces, um, and. Uh, First pumpkins I've really produced on the allotment. I'm dead well, chuffed. You're carving them. I'm putting them in the window. Oh yeah, but you can't waste the stuff that comes out the middle. Oh you know? no. Pumpkin pie. Um, I believe my dinner is being created from a pumpkin tonight. Fantastic. Um, yeah, <laughs> I might turn into one at midnight. <laughs> well, there's Cinderella for you. Yeah. So that's that's where we are. Uh, it's been great. Thank you so much, Gwen, for uh, cool. coming along and and, and and fulfilling our tradition. We'll yeah. still be doing this next year. You do know that, don't you? Oh, of course. Yes. And you'll still well, be saying, I don't like scary stories. And then we find we talk for 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I promise to read a scary story by this time next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, coming up, when we finish talking, as I promised, there will be 15 minutes of me reading the Rats by M.R. James. Oh, yes. Um, I hope I've done it justice. But if you go away uh, and think, oh, that wasn't scary, you'll still be thinking about it by the end of uh, this week, I tell you now. Um, and we look forward to uh, coming back again in November. So uh, thanks, Gwyn. And um, th uh, it's a shame Holly and Lara aren't here because I think uh, they, they would have a lot to contribute about scary stories. But oh. we will. Uh, they just can't be here for all sorts of reasons and wish them both well for, for, uh, for now. And we will uh, hopefully see them in, in November. I can't imagine we'll keep them away from Alice through the looking glass. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so. Okay, well... Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And uh, here comes M.R. James, The Rats. Rats by M.R. James. And if you was to walk through the bedrooms now, you'd see the ragged, mouldy bedclothes a heaving, and a heaving like seas. And a heaving and a heaving with what, he says. Why, with the rats under em. But was it with the rats? I asked, because in another case it was not. I cannot put a date to the story, but I was young when I heard it, and the teller was old. It is an ill-proportioned tale, but that is my fault, not his. It happened in Suffolk, near the coast, in a place where the road makes a sudden dip and then a sudden rise, as you go northward, at the top of that rise stands a house on the left of the road. It is a tall red brick house, narrow for its height. Perhaps it was built about mm, 1770. The top of the front has a low triangular pediment with a round window in the centre. Behind it are stables and offices and such garden as is has behind them. Scraggy Scotch firs are near it. An expanse of gorse-covered land stretches away from it. It commands a view of the distant sea from the upper windows of the front. A sign on the post stands before the door, or did so stand. For though it is an inn of repute once, I believe it is so no longer. To this inn came my acquaintance, Mr Thompson. When he was a young man, on a fine spring day, coming from the University of Cambridge, and desirous of solitude in tolerable quarters and th time for reading, these he found, for the landlord and his wife had been in service and could make a visitor comfortable, and there was no one else staying in the inn. He had a large room on the first floor commanding the road and the view, and if it faced east, why? They could not be helped. The house was well built and warm. He spent very tranquil and uneventful days. Work all morning, an afternoon perambulation of the country round, a little conversation with country company 
or the people of the inn in the evening over then found fashionable drink of brandy and water, a little more reading and writing, and then bed, that he would have been content that this should continue for the full month he had at his disposal. So well was his work progressing, and so fine was the April of that year. One of his walks took him along the northern road, which stands high and traverses a wide common called a heath. On the bright afternoon, when he first chose this direction, his eye caught a white object some hundreds of yards to the left of the road, and he felt it necessary to make sure what this might be. It was not long before he was standing by it, and he found himself looking at a square block of white stone fashioned somewhat like the base of a pillar, with a square hole in the upper surface. Just such another you may see at this day on Thetford Heath. After taking stock of it, he contemplated for a few minutes the view, which offered a church tower or two, some red roofs of cottages, and windows winking in the sun, an expanse of sea, also with the occasional wink and gleam upon it, and so he pursued his way. In the desultory evening talk in the bar, he asked why the white stone was there on the common. "'Ah, it's an old-fashioned thing, that is,' said the landlord, Mr. Betts. "'We was none of us alive when that was put there.' "'That's right,' said another. "'It stands pretty high,' said Mr. Thompson. "'I dare say a sea-mark was on it at some time back.' "'Ah, yes,' agreed Mr. Betts. "'I have heard.' They could see it from the boats, but whatever that was, it's fell to bits this long time. Good job too, said a third. Twan't a lucky mark, but what the old man used to say, not lucky for fishing, I mean to say. Why ever not, said Thompson. Well, I never see it myself, was the answer, but they had some funny ideas, what I mean peculiar, them old chaps and I shouldn't wonder what they made away with it themselves. It was impossible to get anything clearer than this. The company, never very voluble, fell silent, and when next someone spoke it was of the village affairs and crops, and Mr Betts was the speaker. Not every day did Thompson consult his health by taking a country walk. One very fine afternoon found him busily writing at three o'clock, then he stretched himself and rose and walked out of his room into the passage, Facing him was another room, then the stairhead, then two more rooms, one looking out to the back and the other to the south. At the south end of the passage was a window to which he went, considering with himself that it was rather a shame to waste such a fine afternoon. However, work was paramount just at the moment. He thought he would just take five minutes off and go back to it, and those five minutes he would employ. The Bettises could not possibly object to looking at the other rooms in the passage, which he'd never seen. Nobody at all, it seemed, was indoors, probably, as it was market day. They were all gone to town, except perhaps a maid in the bar. Very still the house was, and the sun shone really hot. Early flies buzzed in the window panes, so he explored. The room facing his own was undistinguished except for an old print of Berry St Adams. The two next to him on the side of the passage were gay and clean, with one window apiece, whereas his had two. Remained the southwest room, opposite to the last which he had entered. This was locked. But Thompson was in a mood of quite indefensible curiosity, and feeling confident that there could be no damaging secrets in a place so easily got at, he proceeded to fetch the key of his own room, and when they did not answer to collect the keys of the other three, one of them fitted, and he opened the door. The room had two windows looking south and west, so it was bright and the sun as hot upon it as could be. Here there was a no carpet but bare boards, no pictures, no washing stand, only a bed in the furthest corner, an iron bed, with mattress and bolster covered with bluish check counterpane, as featureless as a room as you could well imagine, and yet there was something that made Thompson close the door very quickly and very quietly behind him and lean against the window sill in the passage, actually quivering all over. It was this, that under the counterpane someone lay, and not only lay, but stirred. That is, someone and not something was certain. 
because the shape of her head was unmistakable on the bolster, and yet it was all covered. No one lies with covered head but a dead person, and this was not dead, not truly dead, for he just heaved and shivered. If he had seen these things in dusk or by light of flickering candle, Thompson could have comforted himself and talked of fancy. But on a bright day like this, it was impossible. What was to be done? Oh, first, lock the door at all costs. Very gingerly, he approached it, and bending down, listened, holding his breath, because there might be a sound of heavy breathing and a prosaic explanation. There was absolute silence. But as, with a rather tremulous hand, he put the key into its hole and turned it, it rattled, and on the instant a stumbling, padding tread was heard coming towards the door. Thompson fled like a rabbit to his room, and he locked himself in. Ah! Futile enough, he knew it was. Would doors and locks be any obstacle to what he suspected? But it was all he could think of at the moment, and in the fact nothing happened. Only there was a time of acute suspense, followed by a misery of doubt as to what to do. The impulse, of course, was to slip away as soon as possible from a house which contained such an inmate, that only the day before he had said he should be staying for at least a week more, and how it had changed plans could he avoid the suspicion of having pried into places where he certainly had no business. And moreover, even the Bettises knew all about that inmate, and yet did not leave the house, or knew nothing, which equally meant there was nothing to be afraid of, or knew just enough to make them shut up the room, but not enough to weigh on the spirits, and in any of these cases it seemed that not much was to be feared, and certainly so far he had had no sort of ugly experience. On the whole, the line of least resistance was to stay. Well, he stayed out his week, nothing took him past that door, and often he would pause in quiet hour of day or night in the passage and listen, and listen. No sound whatever issued from that direction. He might have thought that Thompson would have made some attempt by at ferreting out stories connected with the inn, hardly perhaps from Betts, but from the parson of the parish or old people in the village, but no. The reticence which commonly falls on people who have had strange experiences and believe in them was upon him. Nevertheless, as the end of his stay drew near, his yearning after some kind of explanation grew more and more acute. On his solitary walks he persisted in planning out some way the least obtrusive of getting another daylight glimpse into that room, and eventually arrived at this scheme. He would leave by an afternoon train about four o'clock. When his fly was waiting and his luggage on it, he would make one last expedition upstairs to look round his own room and see if anything was left unpacked. And then, with that key, which he had contrived to oil, as if it made any difference, the door should open once more for a moment and shut. So it worked out. The bill was paid, the consequent small talk gone through while the fly was loaded. Pleasant part of the country. Been very comfortable, thanks to you and Mrs Betts. Hope to come back sometime. On one side and on the other. All very glad you found satisfaction, sir. Done our best. Always glad to have a good word. Very much favoured we've been with the weather, to be sure. Then, I tell you what, I'll just take a look upstairs in case I've left a book or, or something out. Oh, no, no, don't trouble. I'll be back in a minute. And as noiselessly as possible, he stole to the door and he opened it. The shattering of the illusion. He almost laughed aloud. <laughs> Propped, or you might say sitting on the edge of the bed, was nothing in the round world but a scarecrow. <laughs> a scarecrow out of the garden, of course, dumped into the deserted room. Yes, but here amusement ceased. Have scarecrows got bare, bony feet? Do their heads loll onto their shoulders? Have they iron collars and links of chain around their necks? Can they get up and move, if never so stiffly, across a floor with wagging head and arms close to their sides, and shiver? Ah! Oh, the slam of the door, the dash to the stairhead, the leap downstairs, were followed by a faint awaking. Thompson saw Betts standing over him with a brandy bottle and a very reproachful face. You shouldn't have done so, sir. Really, you shouldn't. 
It ain't a kind way to act by persons as done the best they could for you. Thompson heard words of this kind, but what he said in reply he had no idea. Mr Betts, and perhaps even more Mrs Betts, found it hard to accept his apologies and his assurances that he would say no word that could damage the name of the house. However, they were accepted, and since a train could not now be caught, it was arranged that Thompson should be driven to town to sleep there. Before he went to the Bettises, told him what little they knew. They says he was a landlord here a long time back and was in with the highwayman that had that beat upon the heath. That's how he came by his end, you know. Hung in chains, they say. Up where you see that stone, what the gallus stood in. Yeah, yeah, the fishermen made away with that, I believe, because they see it out at sea and it kept the fish off, according to their idea. Yes, we had the account from the people that had the house before we come. You keep that room shut up, they says, but don't move the bed out and you'll find there won't be no trouble. And no more there has been. Not once we haven't come out into the house, though what we may have now was no saying. Anyway, you're the first I know on that seen him since we've ever been here. I never see it set eyes on him myself, nor don't want to. And ever since we've made the servants' rooms in the stabling, we ain't had no difficulty that way. Only I do hope, sir, as you'll keep a close tongue, considering how and else do get talked about. The promise of silence was kept for many years. The occasion of my hearing the story at last was this, that when Mr Thompson came to stay with my father, it fell to me to show him to his room, and instead of letting me open the door for him, he stepped forward and threw it open himself, and then, for some moments, stood in the doorway, holding up his candle, looking narrowly into the interior. Then he seemed to recollect himself, and he said, oh, I do beg your pardon. Very absurd. I can't help doing that for, for a very particular reason. Now what that reason was, I heard some days afterwards. Now you know. You've been listening to Bookalicious, available wherever you get podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode, and tell your friends... We love to know you're listening, so please like us or leave a comment. Have a look at our website, bookalicious.com, and you can contact us on info at bookalicious.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you all happy reading. Bookalicious.